right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Got a bonus episode for you. Three episodes this week. Trying to up our uh, content delivery game here in this weird quarantine period. So Justin Thomas was nice enough to get on the phone, go through a bunch of listener questions for about an hour and answer all of them in great detail. This is an excellent, excellent podcast. I'm looking forward to uh, you guys hearing this one. Before we do get uh, started, if you're like us, you got a little more downtime than usual on your uh, hopefully washed hands. Uh, if you've already exhausted your golf creativity by uh, messing around with the Callaway Customs Configurator tools for drivers and wedges, and if your back is sore from the basement putting you're doing or chipping or whatever you're doing, if you're all caught up on the latest season of Torah Sauce, then we uh, suggest you keep checking out the video, uh, the recap of an event that Callaway, uh, the community, got to be a part of. They invited eight members of its Callaway community, callawaygolf.com slash community, uh, to Latrobe Country Club, uh, home course, of course, to the king, Mr. Arnold Palmer. They got to see what it was like to play on the king's turf and access spaces and places and mementos that few others uh, get to witness or be a part of. So that video is available, callawaygolf.com slash community. Uh, but just go to Google or YouTube and whatever. Just search for Callaway Latrobe Experience. Again, that's Callaway Latrobe Experience, and uh, you will find it all over the internet. So uh, get a little chance to see what it's like to spend some time in the King's backyard. It's excellent stuff. So uh, without any further delay, here is our Q&A with Justin Thomas. All right, I got to say, man, this has got to be first time we've done one remotely, I think, since since I was abroad. We've been killing it in person, but uh, we're, we're practicing uh, proper social distancing protocols. I know we are. And just to make it feel like it's like normal, I'm uh, I'm sitting at the table that we usually do it at. So I feel like we're talking, you know, next to each other. All right. How bored do you have to be to agree to just take random uh, random Twitter questions uh, and take it take it to audio? Um, I mean, I don't know how to scale it, but it's definitely pretty high on a on a on a scale of boredom. I have to say. Well, it's we're we're benefit. Everyone's benefiting from that, uh, or from from the fact that you are bored. So we appreciate that. The most important question, and I got to say, I'm very pleasantly surprised with the uh, the the level of questions we got. We got a good mix of kind of some in depth and some funny ones, and also just just some broad ones. I think that people want to know about professional golf life and stuff like that. So we're going to weave them in and yep. out. But Dan Howard at Mustard Tiger asked, with all the free time, have you been working on the biggest hole in your game, driver off the deck? Wow, great question. Um, considering I haven't practiced golf once since the players, it's probably the exact same place it was when I stopped. <laughs> um, I've played some rounds, but I've had no desire to actually go out and practice. I mean, I keep I send you videos. I'm better at driver off the deck. I'm not killing people anymore. Like I, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I would say you know, run-of-the-mill average driver off the deck player. And um, I feel that I, I'm not putting other people's lives in danger when I hit it. So I guess I, I need to prove myself in a tournament before that, uh, before that you know, reputation goes away. Well, I love that you preface, like, you're not killing people anymore. Because Jay Neal 11 asked if you stay in touch with the family of the guy that you killed with the driver off the deck. And if, as well, um, as I got a question about Valspar, you know, the fact that Valspar didn't happen, does that you know, make it a little easier for you to move past what you did there. <laughs> I'm never, I'm never going to let this down. Never. <laughs> I, I, I was excited. I mean, I was excited to go back to Tampa for many reasons uh, for the Valspar and play this year, but I, I I'm going to be perfectly honest. I, I never thought about that until you just brought it up. So I was very excited. I'm sure he would have come out and said, Hey again. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's still, he's doing great, you know, just like he was after he, he took a little two hopper there, uh, from one of my drivers, but yeah, I was, I, unfortunately I won't be able to catch up with him this year, but you know, maybe, maybe next year. Uh, you gotta be like, man, how many gloves do I have to sign for this, for this thing to go away? Um, <laughs> all right. It's traitor. Kale Bando asks the good and the bad of being the child of a club pro. The good. I would say is that, I mean, just the fact that he's a club pro and I, and I was, but I mean, he's a great club pro and, and, and a great instructor. So, I mean, I would say that's 
that's been the greatest part for me because he's still my coach and we continue to do everything and, and we have such a great relationship. So I would say that that's the best part of it because it was obviously very easy for me to find an instructor. The bad what honestly bothers me is, is, is we dealt with it probably more so in high schools often. I mean, I don't read very much anymore, but when I did, I, I always saw this when I would put stuff up. Um, it's people just saying, oh, well, yeah, it's easy to be out on tour with your dad, but, you know, when you grow up around it and you're you're given all this stuff. And it's like, I mean, I, I, I worked my ass off pretty hard to get where I am. I mean, yeah, I, I do agree that I was very fortunate to, you know, to, to have the access to go play in practice. But, I mean, I'm the one that, that would go out there and hit the balls and, and my dad and I would put in the time when I was in high school and college to get where I am. So I could have the greatest facility in the entire world and get every club I want for free and, and be the richest family in the history of the world, which we were not anywhere close to. And uh, I could still not be on tour, but I, I've earned myself to get here. So I would say that that gives me the, the, that bothers me the most that people just kind of assume when your dad's a club pro, you get everything handed to you and, and you're out on tour. Yeah, if that was the case, then every son of a of a club pro would be would be out on tour. <laughs> That's obviously not necessarily the case. But uh, here's a good one: something we talk about quite a bit on here, and something that we would love to see happen on the PGA Tour. This is at Willie Wilder. Should players and caddies be mic'd up closely? Does entertainment value carry more weight than privacy and discretion? So I think he's asking this in the sense of you know how you guys have the microphones on you currently, and we've even advocated for finding a way to get microphones on players and caddies. I'm wondering what your general take on that is, how realistic that is, and how players would uh, would adapt to that. I don't think it needs to happen. I mean, everybody can very – it's pretty apparent that everybody can hear what we say plenty well enough. And not that anything bad's happening or it's anything secret, but nobody needs to hear what we're talking about going down the fairways. I mean, a lot of it's personal. I mean, you know, if I'm playing with a close friend, we might be talking about I don't know, maybe some business type stuff or we might be talking about family stuff or, or just, you know, something that, no, honestly, I don't want my caddy to hear. Maybe I'm asking him something about that. So, I mean, we talk about stuff that it's, it can be private. It doesn't, nobody needs to be hearing it. And I thought it takes the wrong person, maybe a producer to hear it or someone in the office or, or then people start getting offended at it. And I mean, I think the mic picked up plenty already. They don't, they pick up many of things that aren't even intended to get picked up. So I don't think it's necessarily needed for us to be wearing likes. Now, if guys want to wear it, you know, knock yourself out, but I will not be one that's, that's wearing a mic. Interesting. What about kind of separating it out? If it's not broadcast live, right? If you mm-hmm. know a production truck has access to your, your uh, it, kind of what coming to an agreement yeah. with players to be like, Hey, if we catch some good conversation from you, that's very relevant to what just happened can we run it in replay? Because honestly, I don't want to hear live commentary live because it's going to look a lot like what Tiger and Phil's looked like. A lot of huffing I was and puffing. Say, like it, you, yeah, it, it's For not sure. all interesting, um, and I think it, filtering out the uninteresting stuff is important. I, I, I like I said, I just don't want to hear that mm-hmm. live stream. But gosh, if even if it's just after you miss a putt on the low edge, if you can say. You know, the, the the announcers might be saying he misread that, but you might say to you know Jimmy, hey, I actually pulled that a little bit. Like that kind of stuff, I think would be really a value added. Yeah, yeah, in that part I agree with, and that's where you kind of walk the fine line, or it's like how how can you do it? Um, I I do think that that part is cool. It's just it's obviously hard to get one without the other. I do think that that it would be cool, and I mean I, I love watching the web events when the guys are mic'd up and. I mean, I say some pretty weird stuff on the course, a lot of stuff that I probably don't even know that I say. So that's probably what scares me about it is actually hearing what I say. But <laughs> um, but like you said, if it's not live, I mean, nobody, you don't want to have that awkwardness of just, you know, showing the camera of two guys walking, especially like if we're in Mexico where you can't even walk and have a conversation at the same time at altitude and nobody has their breath and you just, it's, it's awful. So I think, yeah, the whole, you know, the conversations in the shots, you know, maybe when the ball's in the air or or whatever it might be, that stuff would be cool. But it's it's hard to obviously find a happy medium and perfect it, but I think it could be cool. Yep, that makes sense. All right, there's a lot of questions within uh, this next one. This is from AC Sotile, it looks like. He would love some nerdy shot-making questions. So, like, what are your go-to shots? And as a high ball hitter, how do you knock it down? What are your shape patterns? 
Uh, how do you approach your your shot club selections around the green, and what are your thoughts with putter? That's a lot, so take what you want from that, but kind of uh, yeah, your, your stuff. <laughs> Sounds like this guy is trying to revamp his game. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he might be searching a little bit, Andrew, but uh, kind of walk us through kind of some of those thoughts. For me, my, my go-to shot is always going to be a cut. That's, that's what I'm comfortable doing. Um, I feel like I can cover the ball and I can turn it left and kind of slice it. It, It's really as much as I want to or need to. Um, I mean, I can hook it, I can draw it, but I don't have quite as much consistency in terms of a start line or finish line. Like I know, um, you know, a place like Medina where, I mean, my dad and I were talking about this the other night. We played a practice round and I'm walking around and I'm like, you know, it's funny when we always go to a course for the first time because my dad is you know, we're going through our normal thing. We practice, we, we play the course, and, and he kind of waits a little bit. And it's always kind of somewhere in the middle of that back nine. And he's just like, so, uh, you know, what, what do you think of the course? He always just asks me. And, you know, there's times I like it, times that, you know, I like it, don't like it or like it more than others. And um, and he, you know, he's like, how do you think about it? And I'm like, Dad, I'm going to be honest. I'm like, I, I'm having a hard time with it. I was like, I, every hold, I feel like dog legs hard left. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to hit these fairways. Like a lot of shots don't match, you know, my shot shape. Like I look at number nine, you got to draw it. Number 10, it fits a draw. Number 11 fits a draw. And I'm just like, <laughs> number 15 or 14 draw, 16 draw. It's just, and then we get out there and I end up playing well. So it's like, that part is hard, but I just, I stuck to my cut all week and I know that I wasn't driving it well or I was hitting my irons well, but I just knew that I could start it left and I could cut it. Obviously, being as soft as it was changed a lot, but I know that if I'm either not hitting it well or I'm struggling with things that I I can always start it left and I can just kind of splice it or cut it back to where somewhat near where I needed to go. That was a long way to say my uh, my go-to shot, but I, I like working the ball a bunch of different ways. And, and when I'm hitting it well, I feel like I can I can work it left to right, right to left, low, high, and kind of get access to pins more so, you know, doing that. And knocking it down is something I've really improved on the last probably three or four years. I, I think that's kind of taken me to the next level, especially with wedges and short irons, just being able to access those back pins or soft greens or whatever it might be. And for me, it's, it's not very hard. It just kind of takes practice and something, you know, I just put it back in my stance and soak down. And next thing you know, like I'm hitting a great knockdown. It, it, it takes repetition of taking speed off of a couple clubs extra and just kind of figuring out what I'm or a good way that works for me because something that works for me might not work for, for Roy McIlroy or, or Tiger Woods or, or Jordan Spieth, but it's like, but it works for me. So it's really just about kind of toying with stuff on the range and figuring out what works for you the best. Um, and to be honest, that what was the, I, there's something about a putter in there. I don't yeah, know just kind of what your thoughts are with putter. I, it was it was pretty broad, but uh, yeah. if you have a yeah, uh, yeah. it it, it kind of it varies. I mean, for me, a lot of stuff is fundamentals and making sure my setup is, is good. But when I'm putting my best, my speed is really good. It's every putt tends. I don't like hitting the back of the hole with my putts. I'm not a firm putt putter. I, I like. I mean, to me, it just doesn't make sense to why I wouldn't want to be able to use the entire hole uh whether it's from you know there's going to be those two three four footers where i might hit a little bit harder but you never see me you know like rick where he just i mean playing with him in those team events i know he's going to make it but i just know that <laughs> you always have that stress of like damn i got to keep my hand on my coin if he doesn't make it <laughs> so that part's a little different but i'm just a I, I focus on speed the most and i just try to see that ball going down that line and um trying to make sure my setup's good, ball position, my eye line, and then that's the stuff I do in the practice screen. And then from there, it's just kind of all focusing on speed. And that and that kind of ties into another question we got from RJD5021. And there's a tweet about from the 15th club this week. It was a quick pop quiz. Best player since strokes gained began from 50 to 125 yards with an average of .04 strokes gained per shot. And the answer to that was you. You are the best player in the world since strokes gained from 50 to 125 yards. So wanted to get you talking about that stat, how you decide on what shots to hit between those yardages. If you have stock wedge yardages that, that you kind of build in from different different numbers and uh, different flights, more or less spin, how you work on those and how you got so good from that range. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've taken a, a lot of pride in my wedge game since I've been on tour. I think it's, um, 
I mean, it took took a little bit. But I feel like, I mean, obviously, when you're when you're not winning tournaments or, or not in contention, nobody really knows because you're not, you know, you're not on TV or, or the shots aren't getting shown. But I've continued to work hard on it because I mean, if you're a long hitter, it's um, I mean, it's a no-brainer to me. And I've I've always worked hard on it, and trying to hit my numbers. But I just have I I would say ninety, and Jimmy would agree with it. I would say my caddy that. I would say 98% of the time when I hit a wedge, it's not full. I, I never, I mean, I hit a, I hit a, a lob wedge, a hundred yards, just a stock lob wedge, a hundred yards. I can hit it 105, but uh, you know, it's in that 98 to 102 kind of depend on if I cut it or draw it, whatever. And if I have a hundred yards, I'm going to hit a 56 degree 98 times out of a hundred. It's just, I know that if it's a firm, if it's a super firm green or a good away from me or I'm downwind, then I'll hit a lob wedge. But that that perfect scenario just doesn't happen very often. So for me, basically all my wedges. I mean, you can see every wedge I hit, I'm I'm holding it off. I don't follow through all the way. I kind of choking down, and that's just that's just the way that I like hitting wedges, and I feel like that's how I have the most control. So it's something that I've done for a little bit now, especially since I've been on tour. You know, the first year as a professional on the web, I, I wasn't as good at it, and I really worked hard on it. And I think it's just kind of gotten better every year, and it's, it's something I take a lot of pride in. I think it's why, I, why I've why i had a lot of success I have is, is because of my web game. Yeah, and I always am curious, and it's a weird way of asking. I'm not sure how to ask, but let's say a couple ways. And like, Do you have, would you say, you have a different shot for an 80-yard shot and a different one for 78? Or is it, at what point do you get to that you look at the pin and you see the distance and you're, you're, you're more feeling it and trusting your instincts more than you are working off an exact number. I would say inside of like 60 to 65. So I have a, a shot with, with my 60 degree that I can hit it. I mean, on your normal scenarios and like normalize, I can hit within 60 yards. I can hit it within a yard about every time. Uh, I, I just, I know, and then I can head at 65 yards as well if I don't choke down. And then I haven't gotten as consistent with my 70-yard shot with that same swing with my sand wedge, but it's getting there. It's, my 60-yard shot's what I warm up with every single day in the range, and I know that it's going to go that far. So once I get below that, I kind of get to the point where, like, you know, you see me not using a glove, and it's like it's getting close to do a chip shot, and I just kind of look because – to me, it's like how often when I go out on the range and you warm up and hit ball for that first 10 and you hit it within five to 10 feet every time. And then someone's like, how far is that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to hit it to that 10. That's all I'm trying to do. So why am I going to try to hit it 43 yards when I have no idea how to hit it 43 yards? But if you tell me, hey, hit it to that 10, I'm going to hit it to that 10. It's just, but everybody's different. I mean, it's like Bryson with putting. I mean, you if you told me to hit a putt 27 feet, like, I probably couldn't hit it within two feet. Whereas if you put a, a hole 27 feet away for him and you didn't tell him how far it was, he says that he can't do that. So it, it, it's weird. And, and P. Reed is very, very meticulous and, and precise in his distances. I mean, he's like, you know, I 27 yards. I, I know that shot. And that's, to me, that's crazy. But he might be the best chipper and putter of the ball I've ever seen in my life. Sir. So you can't knock anybody's specific technique it's just everybody's different but for me it's probably inside of 60 yards it's kind of when i start feeling it hmm. you say you can't knock uh, anybody's technique but can you knock my technique which is god i hope this goes 65 yards right now like that's that's <laughs> that's, that's where i'm at on those i mean that's the stuff that I think even amateur golfers can can program themselves to hit a certain club 130 yards, 145. But mm-hmm. it's those 65 to 90 yard shots that I I just can't understand how you guys are that yeah. precise. I mean, obviously we understand mm-hmm. how talented you are, but the actual level of precision is what uh, always amazes me. But we got a question yeah. on that's, that's what I say to amateur golfers. Is if, I mean, it doesn't matter how good you are. There's not a person in the history of the world that, especially an amateur, that's like, you know what, you're you're just you're pitching it and wedging it a little too good. I would maybe stop practicing that as much. It's like, no, you that should be the, the what you spend the most time on. Any junior golfer, any amateur golfer, any I mean, shit, me too, professional golfer. Like I'm, that's what I work on the most because it's it's where you're going to save your most shots. 
A quick break here to remind you about our friends at Herbal Active. We haven't heard from them in a little while on this show, but uh, they are still a great supporter of No Laying Up. U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. They are the uh, CBD provider for, for the entire No Laying Up family. I know I use it twice a day. I use it in the morning and in the evenings. It's great for sleep. Um, it is an incredible product. You can read a lot more about it. It is a water-based product, which your body handles water much more than it handles a lot of oils. And also during this coronavirus period, they are offering a three-pack of hand and surface sanitizing spray for $15. I know I can't order that anywhere online. I don't know well, I can't get it on Amazon. I can't find it anywhere in any stores. So if you need some sanitizing spray, check out herbalactive.com, U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. And listeners of this show can use promo code NLU20 for 20% off all of your orders. Uh, that could be CBD mints, CBD drops, could be, they all, just go check out their products. I promise you'll enjoy it. Give it a try. Uh, they've got balm, they've got water-soluble drops. It's it's very extensive. U-R-B-A-L-A-C-T-I-V. Again, promo code NLU20 for 20% off your order. Let's get back to Justin Thomas. On the read note, got a question from Mash NL, and his question is: What was your thought behind the joking situation, or joking about the read situation at the Royal Melbourne practice round? Like for me doing it, my joke. Yes. Um, well, I mean, for me, it's it, look like I don't care if I if I like the person, if I don't like the person. Like, if we're gonna go out and have a, a you know a practice round and have a game, like I'm. I'm going to talk shit. That's just how I am. Like, I'm, I like to poke fun. I like to, you know, be competitive. And that's just how I am. And he was kind of giving me some grief about, you know, he thought that was his ball. And we walked up there and he's kind of standing there and this and that. And, and he's just kind of jawing me a little bit. So once I got in there, I was like, well, this is a pretty perfect opportunity to just make fun of him a little bit. And I mean, plenty of people were saying, it's like, oh, you're, I'm endorsing what he did and this and that. It's, it's, it's it's not that like you, you can think of it any way you want, but yeah, what he did is what he did. And I, yeah, that's, that's me. That's not my area. I mean, he was my teammate that week and I wanted him to play great. Yeah. When, when we play in individual tournaments, I want to beat him. And, you know, I obviously would, if he did something like that with me, I wouldn't be too happy, but it's, he's my teammate that week. And I, I, I was poking fun at him just like I poked fun at Tiger, just like I poked fun at Webb or, or Rick or whatever it is like it's that's just how I am so people could have looked at it however they want and you know thought it was funny or thought it was me promoting a feeder is what I what I got told a lot about but it's at the end of the day I'm like guys it's this is my teammate this week and I'm just trying to have a little bit of fun with them and if if you're that sensitive to where you can't understand that then it's not my problem yep uh, on that note, as well from the President's Cup, Connor Payton asked, how did Tiger approach you about playing together at the President's Cup? Well, he's so meticulous in how he went about everything and pairings and what he wanted to do. And I mean, we there was a chance we were going to play together in Paris. So, like, we'd done some practice with each other's softballs and, like, that part I knew. And, and I mean, once we kind of both were on the team, or, you know, after he won Japan – we, we pretty much knew he was going to be on the team anyway, but that kind of locked it up. And we were talking about it probably more after that. He's like, well, what do you think about us two going out first? It's present stuff on, uh, on Thursday. And I'm like, dude, that's like, that would be unbelievable. And he's like, all right, well, let's do it. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth. He's like, what do you want to do this? And, you know, looking at what he needs to do as a captain was the hardest part about when he could play, because there were unfortunately a lot of obligations he had to do. And also, with those obligations, his body wasn't going to be in the shape it needed to be in to play as much as we all wanted him to. So I was like, dude, I'm going to play with you whenever you want to go. I would take us against anybody and be happy about it. But you need to listen to your body. You need to, you need to listen. Like, don't be stubborn here. Like, I know, I know you want to play. I want you to play. I'm like, but dude, this is a team event. And like, we need to win this thing. And I want to win it for you. Just like all of us want to win it for you. So, if you need to swallow your pride and play two or three matches as opposed to four or five, like you need to do that. And he was great about it. We wanted to go out Saturday afternoon, but he was like, I can't do it. It, it was cold that day. He's sitting on a cart. He's like, it just, he's like, I can't play. And you and Rick are rolling. You guys go back out. So it was really cool. Obviously I'll never forget it. And just the, the fun times we had, but for me, I don't know what it was, you know, it's like that, I don't know how much everybody remembers when they watched it, but 
just walking to the tee, you kind of, a lot of times it gets on camera, but it was a pretty long walk from the putting green to the, the first tee. I don't know if you remember that. And often you're, you're with your partner. So you kind of wait for him, whether he's putting, since putting up or chipping and <clears throat> you guys watch the tee together. And my dad always kind of finishes up with me because he always just says, you know, you need anything or have any questions. And I'm, I usually say no. And he just says, go get him. And then he goes on his way. So we're walking to the tee and, kind of no one's really neither tiger or i are talking this is on thursday and he's like you ready to go get him i'm like yeah and then i don't know why i didn't even think about saying it the night before the week before or anything but it just kind of hit me and i just i kind of put my arm on his shoulder and i was like hey dude he's like what's up i'm like i want to see that player that i looked up to my entire life growing up i was like that's the tiger that i want to see this week and he just kind of like smiled and winked at me and he just said let's go and i'm like that was I don't know why I said it. I don't know what it, why it came to my mind, but it was a pretty cool moment uh, and one that I'll remember for sure. Whew. Yeah, that got, me, that got me in the feels a little bit there. That's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. We, the, a couple things I wanted to ask more about the President's Cup, and I don't think we got specific uh, questions about this, but one, I wanted you to compare and contrast kind of what, what kind of exercise the Royal Melbourne was compared to what you're used to in, in professional golf. And then you got to take us to that the the putt on the 18th green and uh, and the to shout out as well. Um, yeah, it it was weird. I don't think I played that hole enough. Obviously during the the week because I hit that tee shot, I thought I hit it five miles right, and I thought we just lost the uh, the match. And we get up there, and I literally missed the fairway by a yard. So I'm I looked like an idiot because I'm I just hate to say I was head down and I was. I think I slammed my club after it hit my shot, and I was like, I can't believe I just lost this match for us. And we're walking up, and you know, Tiger hits a great iron shot in there, and um, then he he came in and, and read the putt, and the only putt I had him read in <laughs> two matches together, which he makes sure to remind me all the time. But um, yeah, it, it just was. We talked about it on the bus in the morning. I, I showed everyone the video of, of the TO thing, and it just. A lot of guys hadn't seen it. it. It was kind of a joke that me and my buddies, uh, Bud Tolly, and then another another teammate of mine that went to Alabama who we're, we're close with, that would just say it as a joke all the time. And I was texting with them on the way to the bus, on the bus on the way to the course, and um, they sent me the video, and I was like, you know what? I was like, if I make a big putt today, I'm saying that. And yeah, I, I showed it to everybody, and I told everyone, I was like, if I make a big putt today, I'm saying this. And everyone's like, yeah, you should do it. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm kind of reading this putt, and as I'm walking around, I'm like, damn, I'm like, I can't believe I have the chance right now to make this putt and say this. Like, this is, this could not be lined up any, just any better. And, again, it's just one of those things that happens when your reactions take over, and, and I yelled it, and it was, it just was, it was great. I mean, I don't know what, what gets into me in those team events. I feel like, uh maybe the best version of myself in terms of golf and, and, and being fiery comes out. But uh, unfortunately I look a little bit arrogant and cocky at times and, and I'm not a huge fan of that. But at the end of the day, as long as, as we win our match and, and we end up winning as a team, then I don't really care what happens. <laughs> I think we were all trying to figure out what the hell you were yelling. I think it became clear afterward, but uh, the, the yeah. context behind it make, makes it make a lot more sense. But uh, back to yeah. Royal Melbourne, kind of take us through some of the things that you had to go through navigating that golf course. I mean, I think that that first hole alone, watching that and watching guys play it, play it mm -hmm. differently depending on where that pin was. How different was mm -hmm. that for you? And how long did, did it take you guys a while to kind of learn the strategy of that course? Yeah, we were fortunate. I mean, it was fortunate that we had, whether Tiger or, or Freddie, a cat, you know, a vice captain or like Rick been over there. Like the guys have been over there before. So for me, it was the first time. Um, I love Link's golf. I love that firm and fast play. So I was excited going into it. You know, I would say the hardest part was honestly just getting arrested again after that grueling long travel and getting your body feeling somewhat decent again so it was a lot of treatment and just trying to kind of work out and get your body moving and feeling properly but then you know because the practice rounds you we're all moving slow and you're just kind of going through the motions and honestly just trying to stay awake so i kind of relied on my partners you know in terms of how to play it and jimmy he'd been there so it just it was so fun man it was like it's a place that if you get it with a certain wind and certain setup, it wasn't very hard, but if you got it really windy, you know, you, as everybody saw, you're winning holes with pars and bogeys sometimes. So it, the first hole was so cool because it, you know, you could drive the, you could hit it over the green with a driver, anybody in our team could, not a short or long hitter. And then if you got that middle right pin, 
you had to lay up, and if you were too close, you couldn't keep it on the green unless you hit it over there 40 feet left. So I was, I think I was fortunate. I mean, Tiger carried me. He he did that, especially that first round. I I hit some good shots in the in the beginning, but for the most part, I just didn't really have it. He played great, and then the alternate shot, I played a little better. But again, you know, it just was about getting him in the fairway, and then he'd hit it on the green and, and try to make some putts. So he was able to kind of plot me around the course if I had any questions. But I knew in that alternate shot, you know, like look at number six, six yeah, six was that drivable hole. And I mean, I drove it with a five wood on Sunday. And I mean, we laid up every day because that was my tee shot and he was hitting it in the green. And there's a good chance that the internationals were going to try to go for it and maybe do something stupid. And then we could end up winning the hole with par. So it was little things like that. And, we felt like just getting the ball in play, as soon, like just get it in the fairway, and then from there you had short irons in your hands all day because you had to have spin control coming into the green. God, just hearing you talk through all those is what makes that golf course just next level entertaining, both for amateurs to play yeah, and for to watch professionals play it. So, yeah, switching gears here, Michael Santana asks a question. It might be unrealistic, but let's let's dream hypothetical here. Do you think the PGA Tour should do an event with everyone playing opposite-handed, with JT playing lefty, Phil playing righty, <laughs> and so on? So ignoring the unrealistic part of that, who would you have money on? Who would be the best opposite-handed player uh, amongst pros? Um, I don't know. I I mean, I know that plenty of guys can will hit it farther than you know Ricky or I. I, I don't. I have no speed. I have a pretty I have a pretty decent swing, but I have no speed. Uh, but, like, Brooks and DJ obviously have speed. I've seen Bryson have speed, but, I mean, if you don't know where it's going or <laughs> if you're playing the wrong course and uh, chipping and putting stuff, or as, like, Ricky putts it really well, I'm a pretty I'm a pretty decent chipper and putter. So, it, I don't know. I mean, everybody is so different. I mean, there's some guys that probably couldn't break 200, and then there's some guys that would expect to shoot in the 80s from the men's tee. So, you don't really know what what you're gonna get, but um, it's it's I I'm, I still think that if I had a week and had to practice and especially like actually put some work in left handed, then then I could shoot some pretty good scores. Well, that's what some Greg LeBlanc asked if you were able to play left handed every day for two months, would you be a single digit handicap? Uh, from the tip. Uh, it doesn't. I mean, does, you could play whatever yeah. tees to get your handicap down. Yeah. Yeah, the th- like the thing is, is it really is dependent on where I play. Like if I go play medalist, like I can't, I can't do it because the first carries are too long. I literally could, like the first hole, I couldn't finish. I mean, it would, I can never get off the tee. Or if I go play Bears Club, like if you miss the fairway, you're re-teeing. Whereas if I go play Grove, twenty-three, then I have places to hit it. Or it's just it, it. I know it sounds bizarre. You could say that about right-handed. Depends on where you play, but left-handed when you don't have as much control and you hit some, some crooked shots, like, it is very dependent on where you play, to say the least. I mean, us trying to chip and putt left-handed and put on the greens out of those bunkers at, like, Seminole, I mean, we might never finish. So, it's, how, it's crazy to think, but... Um, how about it, those it, course it drops right there? Can we get that again? Medalist, Bears Club, Grove 23, and Seminole, for in, like, basically in the same sentence. That was impressive. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know if this is too recent and, you know, if this is, you know, if you're ready to speak on this yet or if I'm, you know, kind of tugging on an open wound here. But Thomas Dean wants to hear more about your back nine collapse in the left-handed challenge with Ricky. <laughs> that was bad, wasn't it, man? I, I, you know, it's so funny because I told my dad, I'm like, this is literally what every, every amateur golfer does. I'm like, I shot 44 in the front, and I told him walk, driving to 10 feet. I'm like, Dad, I'm like, I can break 90 out here today. Like, I'm playing pretty good. And then I just had a full meltdown. I started thinking about what could happen. You know, I'm beating Ricky good, and then it's like, but I can, you know, if I play well in the stack nine, then I'll be good, and I can break 90 for the first time left-handed. And then I mean, it went haywire. I couldn't keep it on the planet. I couldn't stop. I kept. What happened? I. I had some left, right to left wins, and I kept trying to, you know, just like the, the golfer in me, I'm trying to hit like these holes. Like, no, I, I I can't do that. And I would just, and then I start drop kicking it, and then I would try to start hitting it, and then I'd hit these 40 yard slices out of bounds. And I'm like, well, like, what am I doing? It's so stupid. So it was driving me crazy that I, I couldn't just hit the shots that I wanted. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a sad day, but I I feel confident that. You know, if we play again, I can give them a little bit better match. 
Alex Charleston wants to know, he says, the only question I ever ask and want answered uh, is for a tour player to tell me what their favorite mid-round snack is and how they go about deciding what to take on the course snack-wise. He says, don't let me down. My favorite on-course snack is a peanut butter banana sandwich, for sure. That's, that's hands down. I, I love those. Um, Can I ask a question honestly, about the mid-round, about the, yeah. the sandwiches? Do mm-hmm. players prepare their own sandwiches, or is that a caddy's responsibility? If you ask me, it's a player's response. I mean, I would not feel right as a 26-year-old man asking my caddy, Jimmy, to make my sandwiches for me. Now, maybe if you ask Tiger how he feels about it, he apparently doesn't feel the need or that he is capable at his age to make his own sandwich. So I don't know. I mean, if you, everybody is different. And, you know, I know Berger never made his own sandwiches. I guess he was, he found it very difficult as well to make his own peanut butter jelly. It can be a little difficult. So I just, I don't feel right with myself as an adult. If I had some, but if I asked another male or another person of older age than me to make me a sandwich, it's, um, I don't know. I, I I just would have a now. If Jimmy was like, "Hey, man, like I got the stuff. I, I'm gonna make your sandwiches," I'd be like, "Oh, dude, that's awesome! Like, thank you." But I'm never gonna text him like, "Hey, dude, could, do, would you mind going to get some bread and some peanut butter and some banana and in some sandwich bags and maybe make up a couple sandwiches for us today? That'd be great." I'd be like, "No, well, like, are you kidding me? I would I would tell I would tell him if I was another person. I would tell him to tell me to go f myself. Like, there's just no chance that I'm gonna let that happen." That's about the answer I, I expected. I would have thought you make your own, but I also can't picture Tiger making his own sandwich at like in in, in player dining. There's definitely got. I mean, a lot of it too is very dependent on where you are. Like I don't have them every week. Um, I mean, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense to have them every week. But like if I'm in a house, it's a lot easier than obviously if I'm in a hotel. Like it's just you know because you're getting groceries for the week or or some tournaments. You know, we'll even like do it or they'll leave stuff out to make sandwiches and probably 50 50 on that so when it's there i'll just make them in dining i'll go in you know 10 minutes early because i'm very particular on how i make my sandwiches they need to be done correctly so well it's uh this is a a weird kind of question but in uh, obviously you have a different tea time basically every day but do you have any like hard fast rules for how you go about planning your appetite during rounds of golf because in the little tournament golf i've played this year i find it like really hard to figure out when to eat like i'm like kind of nervous so i don't know if i'm hungry like do you just say like hey every three or four holes i need to eat something how do you do it it depends on when i play so it's i'm not a big breakfast person so but it's not that i don't eat it but i just like i'll take i love lunch like i love like a a big salad or, or, you know, with some grilled chicken or some steak or something like that. Like I enjoy that more, but obviously I have to eat. So for me, the morning rounds are a little bit harder for me to where I try to eat as much as I can because, you know, like that's what's going to kind of give me energy for the day. But the hardest, hands down, the hardest ones are the weekends when you get like the kind of 10 o'clock to like 11, 10 o'clock to noon or 10 o'clock to like 1130 where you're playing through lunch. And you don't have the ability to eat lunch before you play. So, and it's easy to forget. Next thing you know, you're on like 11. You're like, damn, like it's two, it's two o'clock right now. It's one forty-five. Like I haven't even eaten lunch. Like what am I doing? And it's crazy, but just like the decisions you make and the, and the little things you do, you don't realize you, you get a little bit more irritable or you get hangry. You know, like it, it's a real thing. So I, it's very dependent on my time that I play. So, I'll always have some kind of like power bars or snacks or like I'll, I'll take a protein shake sometimes to where I'll always eat. I would say I don't have like a specific rule like, hey, every three or four holes, Jimmy, hand me the sandwich or hand me a, a snack. But it's something where I can feel it coming. And I'll, I'll usually I'll wait, you know, a hole to where like I'll, I'll be hitting a driver or, or something to where we have a little longer walk. And the hole before I'll be like, hey, Jimmy, like I, I need to eat on the next hole because I know it sounds bizarre, but I will forget. Like, I'll play the hole, and I'll kind of get in a little zone, or I'll get mad or something, and I'll forget. And then, like, a hole and a half later, I'm like, damn, I forgot to eat. So I, I'm i like, hey, Jimmy, like, you know, just make sure I get them to eat after that, because then I'll hit my tee shot, and they'll be like, hey, here's your sandwich. I'm like, oh, thank you. I forgot if I do forget. So it's just about saying make sure you stay hydrated, make sure you have enough food in you so that, you know, you don't make any stupid mistakes. Yep. Phil H, or he is at FigJam underscore PH, the, your favorite course you've played outside of the PGA Tour and majors. So basically outside of tournament play, favorite course you've played. Ooh. 
Wow, that's a tough question. Honestly, and I feel like you're going to appreciate this because I, I, if you played there, but like you like this style of golf. There's a place in Chicago called Shore Acres mm. that I, I loved. I, I, I really did love. It's just, uh, it's an old school. Like I'm pretty sure it's Seth Brainer. Like it's kind of, you know, it's got the square long greens and it's got all the old designs and it's just, it's not that long, but you have to place it around there. You can be so creative on how you hit shots and play it. And it's got a great vibe. Like, it's, I mean, I've only played there once, but they seem to have a good membership and just, it was fun. I mean, I, I love those kind of places, you know, you go out there and walk and you play in, you know, three, three and a half or four hours, just kind of messing around. And you just can hit so many different shots and play so many different ways. It's not just like, all right, it's a three wood and it's a nine iron and, I miss the green, it's a 60, but it's like, oh, I miss the green. Like, I might have to hit a six iron, bump it up this hill, or I can hit three wood, or I can fly it up top. It's just, I thought it was firm and fast. It just, I found it very fun. And that's the first place that came to mind. So I guess that, that must be it. That's what I wanted to, I want to learn and figure out what the hell they do to make that place firm and fast. Cause when I played it, it was very firm and fast. And it's like, we're in, in the Midwest, in Illinois. And often yeah. the refrain yeah. is like, yeah, you can't just make courses play firm and fast and anywhere you go. But that place, for whatever reason, they're able to do it. And it makes just all the difference in the world. It really does. Yeah. Did you like that place? Oh my God. It's like one, it's, it's in my top five. I think I've listed it in my favorite courses in the U S. Um, I think, I think we played it right around the same time, like fall of 17. I think you were there. It was BMW. I played that BMW championship week and they had an unbelievable shape that week. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun track. I, I enjoyed it. So, um, do, along kind of somewhat similar notes, Leo Methley says, uh, do you think there should be more events on tour based in the British Isles? Hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, I like the golf, you know, how the courses are designed, but man, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go play wherever it is. So it's, I can't, if I say yes, I'm going to go play. If I say no, I'm going to play. I don't feel, I would say too strong one way or the other to really have a any sort of opinion, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly how that works with the PGA Tour. I don't think you can, they can just, you know, host events in Europe. I think it's more of like, hey, could we see some WGCs go there? Would you be encouraged to do yeah. some, do something different along those lines? Yeah, I mean, the hard part is just when the timing is, because it's like, you know, it's hard going from the British Open to Memphis. Like, it's not like that's easy for us or what, something that we want to do for such a big event, but... You know, that being said, like, yeah, it would be cool going over to La Golf National and playing something. Like, I love that place, or Wentworth or something, but it's just, it's so hard. It's already hard enough saying no to tournaments in the U.S., so, like, do I really want to travel to Europe to go play an event? Probably not particularly in the middle of the season, but do I want to play those courses? Yeah, so it's kind of hard, you know. You can kind of play devil's advocate with yourself back and forth all day. Yeah, and uh, Robbie O.K. asked, would you consider playing the Irish Open in Port Stewart next year that GMAC is hosting? So I, I think you can kind of tie that in with how you prepare for mm-hmm. uh, the Open Championship because you've played the Scottish Open in recent yeah. years, I believe. So any chance would you would add the Irish Open? Would that be of interest to you? I've always talked to Rory about it when he hosted it, that I wanted to play not only for him, but just I love, you know, I love golf over there, the Lynx golf, and I wanted to play, but it's just, Again, it kind of goes back to what I said. It's just it's hard to do and, and being two weeks, I think it is two weeks before the, the British. So there's events that I play in the States around then. So it's hard to say. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to consider it and would always like to play, but it's just a, a fact of a reality of like, okay, is that something that's the best thing for me to win the British Open? Or is that yeah. something that's best for me to still be in the, in the condition and rest that I need when I get to the FedEx Cup. So it's a lot of factors go into it just in terms of do I want to play the Irish Open in Port Stewart than, right. you know, just that. Kyle McGuire wants to know what's the best course you've played in Ireland or the UK? Uh, Royal County Down was probably my favorite, but I absolutely loved Port Rush this past year. That I, I would put that in my top 10 I've ever played. I, I don't know what it was. It was my favorite Open we played, but man, it just was, I thought it was such a, such a cool design and such a, a kind of a risk reward type situation you could play each hole so differently and you could take it on or not i mean I, you could 
you know, you could argue all length courses are like that, but I just, I felt like it had a little bit more dog legs and like a little bit more elevation and undulation than, than most length courses. It just was, I, I loved it. As soon as I, I played it, played it for the first time, I, I was in love with it. And similar uh, consideration here with schedules and how this works. Matt Harrington asks, with the new schedule introduced last year and more top guys limiting their schedules somewhat, what can smaller tournaments do to pull in bigger names to their fields? What are some underrated smaller tournaments in your eyes, and what do they do right? It's tough because it's, you know, a, a lot of it, it, it just kind of goes back to the same thing. It's like there's a lot of tournaments that I want to like. I love the John Deere. I think the course is great. I'm only, it's fun. I have fun there. There's a couple of great rest, little restaurants around there. I mean, Claire Peterson, the, the tournament director, is great, but it's just, you just can't do it. You know what I mean? Like if you're trying to prepare for a British open or, or you're doing that, like it's, it's very difficult to do. And like travelers is a tournament that I've played in since I've been professional and it's not a good time in the schedule, but it's, I, I just, I love it. I've only played well there one year, but I really do love the golf course. I, I got to figure out if, you know, if we play this year, what I got to do to play it a little bit better, but they do stuff in terms of taking care of the guys and, and, and the families and, and making sure, you know, little things like the player dining is great, the food's great, the hospitality is great, the, all the volunteers are so nice to be around. It's just, it's so many little things and it's easy. It's, there's things close by. I mean, it, it really is tough and, and there's only so much that each tournament can do. And a lot of it in reality is just kind of the luck of the draw in terms of who goes and who doesn't. But it really is just very selfish decision and dependent on if it works out. Christopher Lara asks, what is the most difficult hole and course for you when playing a normal season? That is tough. I can think of a hole that I don't play anymore. Does that count? Sure. I mean, I absolutely hate number 18 at Houston. I, that hole, I, I hate it. It's just, it, it's so, it sets up so bad for me. And that wind's always in off the left. And I just heal one over in that right bunker. And then I, bat it over their right or I bat hook it in the water or I'll throw the drive it like I I hate that hole it just it, it is so hard for me and I just feel like when I I had a downwind one day and I had a good drive but I mean when that wind's predominantly in off the left I just I feel like I step up there and I just I'll take my five and sign my scorecard and be done it's just, I have a hard time with that he shot at least I did then um and I have, haven't given it a chance since then but um in terms of a golf course, I'm trying to think. I mean, the Honda's tough, man. It, it, it's a place where it doesn't matter how good you are or, I mean, I think you look at results from people. Like, I mean, I, I've my rookie year, I missed the cut. My second year, I finished second or third. My third year, I missed the cut. My fourth year, I won. Then last year, it's like, it depends strictly on how you're playing and if you're playing bad it is such a nightmare and you can hit it in so many hazards i mean i dropped probably nine times in two rounds my rookie year i remember thinking to myself i've never gone through so many golf balls in two rounds of a golf tournament <laughs> and it just seems like every hole every shot and it's always that time of year where it should be nice out but it ends up being like 55 to 65 and it's blowing 25 from the north and you're out on the course thinking how brutal it is. So I would say that's the hardest course and, and overall. James Nelson Jr. asks, if you were to create a hard knock style TV show for the PGA Tour, who would you want the cameras to follow around slash who would be the most interesting? Um, I think people would, I mean, selfishly, I think people would, would get a kick out of following me around. But that would also involve a lot of other players because we, we hang out all the time and, and just kind of, you know, do whatever. I mean, following someone like his around would be so entertaining and just watching him, whether it be, you know, interact with his family or his people or his buddies and going hunting, you know, whatever it is. I mean, his is, is always entertaining and you could just sit and have lunch with him and just listen to him talk and be just as entertained as going somewhere and doing something. Joe Dolan asks, uh, what's the number one thing you've learned from Tiger? I don't know. There's plenty of things, but that's a tough question. There's There's been so many little things, that, and it's not even stuff that he's like just sat me down and told me. It's just that I've kind of picked up playing with him. Just how he manages his game around the golf course is, is pretty pretty impressive. I mean, it's, 
I've done that playing with Phil where he just has nothing and or I said Jordan's really good at that too. I mean, I remember kind of was like 15, 16, we'd have rounds and I, I mean, I would just strike it around and he didn't really seem to have it. We get done and I'd have a scorecard and, you know, we'd get in the scoring trailer and Montana would be like, uh, Jordan, that's 567. I'm like, you just got 67. I'm like, how the <laughs> hell did you do that? You know what I mean? So kind of one of those things. And it's not, you know, people look at that like, oh yeah, like, well, that's just him. And it's like, no, that that's a skill. I mean, to, to shoot under par and to shoot a lot under par when you don't have it, that is a serious, serious skill and something that can't be taught. You just kind of have to learn it and figure it out. And that's something that he's, uh, he's really good at. Well, along those lines, Jason Bozhart said, what types of adjustments do you make during a tournament? Mental, physical, swing thoughts. Curious to hear the kinds of things that pro golfers process during a round and how it compares to the rest of us. So kind of, I think that's kind of along those yeah. lines of what you're saying when it's not there, like what, what are you actually able to change or adjust mid round? Yeah, I probably tinker and can tweak a lot more than, than most. I just have always been that way. I mean, like if I'm, I mean, I remember it um, at Medina. I mean, as, as well as I played that week and, and as low as I shot, I mean, I drove the ball so bad. Like I, I couldn't, I could not stop hitting this wipey cut and, I just was like, I'm over it. Like, I'm, I'm not going to keep doing this. Like, I'm just, I'm sick of it. And, you know, the first hole, I hit it way right. And then number three, I uh, hit it right. Number four, I hit it way right. And I'm just like, this is so stupid. Like, I'm not just going to sit out here and just, why, like, if I'm, I'm going to try something, why, why would I keep doing it? So, you know, I'll strengthen, I'll strengthen my left hand and I'll soften my right elbow because I probably, you know, I have a little bit of an open face and I'm swiping across it. So, I hit a good drive on the next hole, hit a good drive on the next hole, hit a good drive on nine, on ten. And for me, it's I'm not going to continue to just go out there and, and hit it like shit. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not just going to do that. So I, my dad taught me that at the young age. When you're not playing well on the course, you need to figure it out. You need to do something out there to get it in the hole and to get the ball in the fairway or get the ball in the green. And for me, a lot of it is little grip changes or, or you know, if, I'm, if I feel like I'm starting it left, uh, but hitting it pretty solid, I'll put it like a little bit back in my stance just to kind of, you know, have that face not quite be rotated as much when I hit it. Or if I'm, I feel like I'm wiping it, I'll, I'll try to feel like I'm closed up a little bit or, or I'll swing from inside a little bit more. Or if it's curving too much, I'll try to kind of swing a little bit more level sort of thing. So it, it's a lot of little things and it's very dependent on what I'm doing specifically that day. But no, I'm, I am not scared one bit to, to try stuff in the middle of a round if it means I'm going to start hitting it better. All right, Jeff, uh, his handle is at OZB4IA. That's that's a lot to lot to swallow there. Would JT have any thought of signing up for mini tour events down in Florida during the break? <laughs> it's funny you say that. Rick and I actually talked about it, like, literally two days after the players so, were like, can we go play some, some mini tour events? Like, well, you know, I could have my girlfriend and, and his wife come out, and they'll, they'll bring some signs for us and cheer us on and this and that. But, um it, I mean, we thought about it, but it, it, we kind of felt like more bad could come of that than good. It, you know, a lot of people are going to probably just give us some grief about it and say that we have no position being there, this and that. And it would be fun. And, I mean, for us, it would be something to play in. I mean, it's the same thing as us going out and getting, you know, eight, 12 guys and, and going and just having a big money game. Not that we can obviously do that now, but at the beginning we could. So it is something that we talked about, but uh, I think it got – they kind of got pushed to the side pretty quickly. Well, here, here's a question I've always kind of wondered, and I'm curious to get your answer. It's a, it's a tough one for you to answer because it's it you can't brag on yourself too much on this. But let's lift you currently, your current game, and let's say you're going to play a full season on the Corn Ferry this year. If you were to mm -hmm. estimate, how many events do you think you would win? We've had this argument about a bunch of different tours before, and it's always interesting. It, it is because it's like, I don't know. I mean, I I mean, I think that I have the capability to win ten times on the PGA Tour. So why couldn't I win ten times on the? You know what I'm saying? So it people come through the Corn Ferry to get on tour. So I mean, I still would have to play really well to go out there and win. I still would have to not be. You know, it's not like I can go out there and screw around and fire it every ten. Like I'm gonna miss some cuts if I do that, especially out there. I mean, I, I feel like you, you almost not play better, but you definitely have to be more on because you there's a good chance you're going to, have to shoot 18 to 25 under to win. So 
it's not like you can go out and kind of fake it and just kind of skank it around and not your iron's great, you know, chip it, whatever, kind of make a little bit of plus. And no, oh, next thing you know, you're 22 under, you win by four. It's like, that's, that's not exactly how that works. So I, th- I mean, I think, you know, I think a good season out in the, on the corn fair for me, I'd be, you know, a multi-win season. Yeah. I think I could, like I said, I think I could win five to 10 times, but if I won two or three times, I mean, that'd be, that'd be pretty impressive. Yeah, I just think it, it's very like if you put if you sent Mike Trout down to play double A ball, like he's gonna hit like four fifty. You know what I mean? And I yes. don't think yes, it, exactly. I don't think it translates nearly the same way in golf, just because of the odds of I agree. having to beat an entire field. And I think it'd be fascinating kind of experiment to see because I, I just don't I don't I don't think anyone on the PGA Tour would go down and straight dominate. You know what I mean? Just kind of. That's, Absolutely not. Yeah, it's just not the way. There's, not the way golf. There's works. probably a handful of people just because of intimidation factor. I mean, I think that you know I'm I'm accomplished and and have done well, but you know I, I'm not walking around there and people are looking at me like, oh crap, here comes this you know this massive five foot ten, 160 pound dude. We better watch out for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not. I wouldn't think they're too intimidated by me, but you throw a tiger out there and. And that's a little different story. People are just going to be a little scared of them, but I, I agree. It is tough. To get, or it's it's a very very interesting argument because I could go out and play with my buddy who stopped playing professional golf two years ago because he couldn't make it, and he can beat me on any given day. But again, if you if you go have a pitcher that stopped pitching three years ago because he wasn't good enough, and you go have like you said, Mike Trout take BP off of him, he's going to just smash him. So. Yeah. Exactly. It's quite it's quite an interesting thing. Yep. A couple more here and we're going to get you out of here, but uh EdMac 2020 and I, I if we can't it's, it's probably going to be hard for you to list these, so the first ones that come to mind for you I think is probably the best way to answer this, but your top 3 most memorable shots you've hit to date in your career. I would say the 3 wood at the US Open at Aaron Hills on 18 on Saturday, the 7 iron on 17 at the PGA on Sunday. And then for me, the putt at the President's Cup. That's what he nominated. Uh, he was going to guess your hole out at WGC Mexico, your bunk, your President's Cup bunker shot at Liberty, and then the final putt to win the President's Cup match were his three guesses. So, yeah, I mean, if I would have won the tournament in Mexico, I would definitely say that. But I lost, so yeah. I can't really, can't really say that. <laughs> Justin Martell, what is the most afraid you've ever been standing over a single shot, and what's your general approach to fear during performance? That's a good question. I mean, scared is scared is so different than nervous. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think of legitimately being scared over something. I don't know, man. I was. I mean, I I just try to tell myself that I've done it, and and that I just need to play my game. And you know, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But there's because there's nothing you can do. It's not like you can just the switch i'm like oh perfect i'm not nervous anymore you know what i mean it just doesn't unfortunately it doesn't work like that i don't know i can't think of something where i'm like really really scared you know what i mean i mean i was i don't know why i was really nervous in mexico this year on the final round the first couple holes i i just was i was very jittery i couldn't i wasn't hitting it very well i didn't have a good warm-up and like i couldn't get in the flow of things and i i was very very nervous it unfortunately kind of wore off when when i was a little bit behind and then i could never get going but I can't think of any like nothing comes to mind where I like have a specific shot and I'm like oh yeah I was terrified over that mm. thing sort of sort of thing yeah uh, Amol Yannick wants to know were you in or out on the Olympics this year had they happened and one thousand percent in yeah I had a feeling that was the case and then last one we get get you out on this Corey Moss seven how many course records do you have hmm I have no idea you know what think Sony. Or well, why Leia? Why Um Yeah, I think fifty nine probably probably fits. Probably, I would think Aaron Hills. Uh, I don't, I don't have Mexico anymore. Thank you, John Rom. I had it at my home course. I don't know if I still do in Louisville. If you go play somewhere and you're about to set the course record, do you ever do the like the hey, wh- who has the course record? And if it's a local pro, do you no. do you botch the last? No, you try to break it. No, I, I just don't ask. I never shoot like 63. I'm like, hey, guys, what is it? No, no, no. no. I meant I mean? the other way. Some yeah. guys will say like they'll butcher the last hole to make sure they don't break the course record. 
Oh, no, no. Fucking break it. I'm going to break it. <laughs> I have absolutely zero qualms about that. Oh, I guess it, in Medina I do there, too. Okay. I don't know. Maybe four or five, something like that. But That may be a good activity to do during quarantine. Go and uh, add up all the course records you have. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me make sure I got some time. If <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> well all right man appreciate you coming on this is uh again thanks to all the listeners with the questions we had a bunch more if you get if you get bored again i'll let you ask for to come back on if you want to but we can do this again uh if you're interested but uh appreciate you taking the sounds time good. I'll, I'll text you tomorrow we'll set up the next time <laughs> <laughs> sounds good thanks for coming on man and uh we'll speak soon absolutely be the right club be the right club today Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect.